Welcome to the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, bringing you bi-weekly discussions designed to help you grow your business and create the lifestyle you desire. Elevate your business with proven strategies from virtual CFOs, CPAs, and business advisors. We discuss real-world challenges solved with actionable steps that get you the results you need both in business and building the life you deserve. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 94 of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, brought to you by PJS and CoCPAs. I'm your host, Megan Spicer, and today we have a bit of a different episode for y'all. And joining me to talk about this one, I have partner at PJS and CoCPAs, VCFO and CPA, Jamie Johnson. Welcome, hey, Jamie. I feel like we need some like, uh, um, gosh, what was that show from Unsolved Mysteries? Like, yeah, it's like we need some background music to this. You know, it's like when this would come home, come on, <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries would come on. I'd be like, somebody hiding behind my What's couch. What's happening? Really? <laughs> so so why not? Super fun one. Yes, and since you got the article and spearheaded the idea for this episode. Can you kind of take us down the journey of where you found this and how we came to where we are now sitting here recording? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we. Uh, I actually got an, uh, an article um, in my email about the top 10 criminal cases with the IRS. And obviously in this whole COVID time, cryptocurrency, all these things that make everybody scratch their head and they're not 100% sure what the rules are or there's lots of ambiguity. Um, I figured that most of the top 10 was going to be related to those two issues in which that they were and everything. But I I really had no idea that the IRS even, um, I mean, I think when you sit back and think about it, yes, it makes sense that they investigate with the criminal cases with this, but they actually, they have like a Twitter handle <laughs> and they release mm-hmm. all the facts on these cases um, of like some of the fraud and uh, various cases that are going on. So that's where I found it at. Um, and as I started to read some of this, you know, you could see some of the stuff that was actually going to occur whenever COVID hit, everybody was trying to help, but things were so unclear. Initially, it just really opened the door, too, for a lot of um, potential, I'll use that word, (laughs) of what was going to come and and everything. So Mm -hmm. um, we found this case was on that top 10 list. And this family, and I'm going to totally disclose and say, if we mispronounce any names, we are really sorry. (laughs) Some of these names are very hard to pronounce. I think I'm going to stick with first names. But I think we decided that Avazian was the was the right pronunciation. What we think what this family's name is, the Avazians. So they ranged their family. It was kind of a family conspiracy um, in which that they received sentences from 17 and a half down to 10 months of, of probation and, and time in prison for basically fraudulently obtaining over 20 million dollars between the payback, or I'm sorry, the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP, and the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Relief Funds. Over $20 million. Yeah, you heard that right. 
<laughs> it's a lot of money, you guys. So we're we're talking about and kind of breaking down this case and what happened there. And I will say too, we'll link the whole article with the top 10 IRS criminal cases in the show notes for this episode, as well as all of the articles that we pulled all the details from for this case in particular. So you can find the show notes for this episode at pjscpas.com forward slash nine four if you're interested in getting all the nitty gritty details or looking into it further. And like you like you said, Jamie, the IRS does have a Twitter handle too where they post about this type of thing. And you can see that and follow them at IRS underscore CI um, criminal investigation. So if this stuff interests you like it does, I know Jamie and I. <laughs> You're going to want to listen up because there's some, the, there's just some crazy components to this story. And I think it's just kind of a different episode to break up usually our traditional type of, of episode that we do here on Cultivating Business Girl. So, <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, so let's start to get into the details of how this family took $20 million in COVID relief funds. So like way back when we, everybody started EIDL was kind of that first rollout, right? It was that up to $10,000, um, even when they came out with it, I mean, they were very unclear if it applied to, you could get a thousand dollars per person. And initially it was kind of like, is that a contract within a contractor? Is that an employee? I mean, there was a lot of ambiguity straight out of the game, right? With this. And so you had some people go, well, I mean, if it counts contractors, right? Or if it counts like mm-hmm. all the people that I have helping me, like, let's do it. And so that was an automatic and put in your, it was like, I think it was like five screens is what it did. And, and you had to put your owners and your EIN and what your business structure was, name your business and everything. And so just to kind of give you guys an idea, like how you apply for these things. So the ideal and obviously the PPP loans are, are, are two separate things, but that EIDL, you could get up to $10,000. And so the fact that we're even talking about over $20 million, this is a lot of like applications between the PPP mm-hmm. and between the EIDL. So, and I'm guessing their PPP loans did not qualify for forgiveness. <laughs> just Probably to get here. <laughs> but um, so there was just a kind of, you know, kind of framework if you, if you aren't familiar with that, um, that there was, there was just a lot of ambiguity and they, and they came out with clarity later. I think COVID, everybody was very reactionary, obviously, but the mass quantities of this information. So it came out in the court, um, like when they were going through the trial and I believe the trial was only like eight days long. So yeah, it was, it pretty, was short. pretty, I think it was pretty cut and dry case. Um, yeah. you know, I can say anything and assume that about the length of that trial, but what they had done is they had, uh, they used tons of fake stolen or synthetic identities. Okay. So maybe elderly deceased people, they had some foreign exchange students that had been in the U S but are no longer in the U S. So, um, and then with the PPP loans, you actually did have to, now with the PPP, you had to apply with banks. That was, um, you did not apply through the SBA with that. So there was tons of fraudulent applications to various banks um, as well with that. So um, I would imagine if I had to guess, I'm guessing the majority of their $20 million came through 
the PPP loan um, grant and not mm. the EIDL, given that the EIDL maxed out at $10,000. Um, mm. I mean, that's just an ungodly amount of money to of applications to push through. So, yeah. so kind of like introduce, you know, kind of, it seems like we have four main characters, three which are really main, but this is mainly led by Richard and his wife, yeah, Marietta and Richard were a husband wife team. It was kind of like they headed it up. And then Tamara's husband was Richard's brother. And Tamara's husband husband was Artur. So it's kind of your four big players um, within this case and everything. But the main ones were Richard and his wife, Marietta and and Tamara. Those were kind of the three I guess you could say ringleaders um, mm -hmm. and everything. So um, ranging from, I believe they were like 37 to, you know, mid forties. So fairly young. I'm within that range. So fairly young. Super young. Um, yeah. You. Super young. <laughs> Prime of life age right there. Yeah. So I'm going to let you talk about what did they get with all of these $20 million? What did they do with the money they received? Well, what would you do with $20 million, Jamie? I don't know. They did buy a home. <laughs> it's fun to Tarzana. think about. It is. And I had it, to think, I don't know if Tarzana was, I didn't know what it was. And I had said, it's an LA, it's a community outside of LA, right? Oh, okay. I don't need, I've never heard of Tarzana. I was copying over the stuff from the, I didn't, I didn't even think to look at where it was located. But yeah, they put down payments on luxury homes which I'd probably get a luxury home if I had $20 million, right? Uh, but they got a couple different ones. They have one in Tarzana, one in Glendale. I know where Glendale is. And then another one in Palm Desert. Know where that is. I should have looked at Tarzana. Yeah, they also use the funds to buy gold coins, diamonds, jewelry, luxury watches, fine imported furnishings. Uh, there's no details on what that means. Uh, but designer handbags, clothing, and here's here's the cherry on top, a Harley Davidson motorcycle. Because <laughs> who's who hasn't completed their twenty million dollar shopping spree without buying a Harley? I mean, right? <laughs> I mean, why not? What we're gonna do is we're gonna set the timeline for you because we kind of felt like that would be the easiest way as you're listening to this to kind of follow through. So when did it start? And like, when was it found and what the heck happened to them, right? Because mm -hmm. we do have resolution at the end of this case and at, within like the last couple of months. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad that we actually, because I think you got the the link to all of these stories back in like November or December. And we've been talking about recording this and kind of we're trying to figure out where to put it in our editorial calendar. And then as of a couple of weeks ago, we got an update about this case and I was super excited that we actually can kind of tie a little bow on the end so stick around it it does kind of resolve and we have an interesting twist to the story I feel like that comes up so 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 obviously you could start applying for these EIDL um that was released before the PPP I believe all of that kind of started around I feel like April of 2020 is probably when yeah. everything started to open up let's see March of 2020 is when COVID started Mm -hmm. I feel like it was coming. I can't remember exactly. It was pretty quick, April or May. Um, I mean, it was pretty fast. Yeah. 
Um, the PPP loans got cut off. It wasn't, I mean, you know, a little over 12 months and everything in which that, that they were able to apply for all of this. And I believe the EIDL was actually only through 20, the end of 2020. So, I mean, they had to like really punch those through and, and, and get those because even um, the people that previously had applied, they can't even be reconsidered now. I do, I do know that. So like I said, we had the EIDL, you know, kind of came out March, April-ish, maybe the end of March, I think. And PPP loans were pretty quick and everything. Um, but they had to be ready to go because their trial actually started on June 25th of 2020. So that's like, which one, the government in the middle of COVID. Can right. We're thinking say- about March is when it started. So March, mm-hmm. April, May, June, three, three months. months. Like be- that is so fast. Well, and I just like, it is, is like crazy intriguing to me and maybe because they had cash. But like they had to have all this stuff ready to go, lined mm-hmm. out with as far as where things were going to be deposited, where things were. And this was things were so fast and so furious. I cannot believe, to be honest with you, that our government found it this fast. Right. Um, everything. So this this trial started in, in, in June 25th. Right. And so there's during the trial, there's all of these text messages with this Tamara Dayton and her brother-in-law, Richard, who was kind of the ringleader. And they discussed how to create phony payroll reports and uh, and look at the EIN numbers um, to make sure that everything was legit and everything. And they were figuring out how to invent EINs, not just looking at them. They were inventing new ones in order yeah. to make it look legit and trying to make it look so that the government couldn't catch them. Well, and I'm, I'm going to be super straight with you that when you're filling out this and no, if nobody's checking on the backside until many moons later, like, yes, this stuff is going to happen because it was like, it literally would take you 15 minutes to fill out this application at the most. So, I mean, if you have a spreadsheet ready to go and when the FBI's rate agents, they actually raided one of the, one of the houses in Encino, Tamara and Artur, um, they found fake IDs. They found credit cards for phony businesses, checkbooks in the name of fraudulent loan applications and everything. Um, and, and all of that. So sometimes there's almost a piece of all of this that makes me wonder if they did some fraud prior to COVID, because this is a lot of stuff to make up in a short amount of time when a lot of businesses are shut down. And this is all in California, which has had the strictest COVID laws in the entire nation. So yeah. Like buying homes and having the cash and all of this stuff. It just seems crazy. Yeah. So I wonder if there's been some work prior yeah. to COVID or if COVID just kind of sped things up. Or they up. really just mm-hmm. took advantage of the opportunity. There's a lot of opportunists out there that really hustle. It's it's one of those things that's really sad. Like in those emergencies, you see you see two sides of humanity, right? You see people like this that are opportunists, but you also see the best in humanity and you see all the helpers that are coming out to the community. So it's, it's just, uh, it's so frustrating to see this side of it and highlight it. But we thought that this was an interesting enough situation and criminal case to talk about. But yeah, I mean, who knows if they had all this stuff ready to go. That's an interesting take because 
It is. It's a lot of coordination and a lot of in that raid, the number of things that they found to have all of that within three months. It does. It does. It seems fishy. So obviously we're just speculate speculating. This is our own personal yeah. speculations. We don't have any like <laughs> proof of any of this. Um, so this is just Jamie and I, you know, throwing things out there. <laughs> I just want to throw that disclaimer. We're not accusing them of anything else. But, um, but yeah, well, actually, um, I think a little further, there are some notes about um, uh, Tamara and her husband having additional charges brought onto them. So that may have been found during that raid. Because during the trial, you'll see that last um, note there. So we can get into that a little bit more, but I have a feeling you're probably right. So eight days. The trial starts June 17th of 2020. In the heat, like it is like in the heat of 2020, right? right? Lockdown, national, people are still scared to get out of their houses at this point in time, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so on June, only eight days later, June 25th, they found them guilty of one count to conspiracy to commit bank fraud and wire fraud, 11 counts of wire fraud, eight counts of bank fraud, and one count of conspiracy to commit money laundering. Richard and his brother, Artur, they were also convicted of aggravated identity theft. All right. So like, that's a lot. That's a lot going on. But the amount, like 11 counts of wire fraud and eight counts of bank fraud, that makes me think that the EINs they did create were rather large ones, which would have been Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. easier to catch in totaling $20 million than, say, you know, 2,000 little little entities. $10,000, yeah. Right. So I'm guessing that most of this A came through the PPP. That would be my assumption based on Mm -hmm. just knowing various facts within the the PPP. Um, and then pulling payroll reports and stuff. So, um, so then on three days later, on July, on June 28th, uh, the jury found that Richard and Marietta, they had to forfeit their bank accounts, jewelry, watches, gold coins, three residential properties and approximately $450,000 in cash. So they didn't have a whole lot of cash left. I mean, that's a lot of cash, but not like from 20 million. It ain't much. So, uh, so Tamara, she ended up pleading guilty in June. So she, you know, she pled guilty and everything. So she was not necessarily convicted uh, of various other things, but she pled guilty to the aggravated identity theft, conspiracy to commit wire and bank fraud and conspiracy to commit money laundering. And then that is when she and her husband, she kind of pointed to him and said, he and his brother were the co-conspirators. And when her husband got up to testify, he pointed the finger at her. So I'm not, I don't think they're probably still getting along. I'm guessing. Not super solid Just, or loyal. <laughs> Everybody's a snitch when. <laughs> right. I mean, fan. It, was, it was their idea, but they had lots of text yeah. messages. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of black and white evidence with this yeah. case. And such. So, yeah. um, and everything. So they had to wear, ankle monitoring devices. So they were released from trial. They were not held in prison awaiting their sentencing, which is really interesting to me. So this trial ended on June 25th. And then, you know, there was seemed like there were still a few things like the jury um, also found the other thing um, and made them forfeit their assets. But then 
On August 29th of 2021, Richard and his wife, Marietta, they decide to cut their ankle device, right? As they're awaiting their sentence hearing. And and that's been a long time, right? So June 2020, it's over a year later now at this point. Yeah. So, so they fled and everything. And so on August 29th, they left a note for their three kids, right? And 13, 15, and 16. And they wrote and they said, we'll be together again one day. This is not goodbye, but a brief break from one another. So and that was a direct were, quote from the note yes. that they wrote, yeah. which I cannot imagine <laughs> writing a note to your three teenage kids. And well, getting I ready think to all flee. of the, I think we read in one of the articles too that like it was very visible within like in the midst of all of these trials when they were convicted um, and found guilty mm-hmm. in the trial that the that the children were visibly distraught. So I don't know if like all of this just absolutely came out of nowhere or if well I don't they know. probably they hid it did. from their kids, but like yeah you know, that, and how much do you hide buying three new homes from your children? But at 13, you're just thinking, oh, mom and dad must have really worked hard or, you know, I think they were in real estate. I think one of them was in real estate. So that, you know, you're a kid, you're not thinking of that. I just, my heart breaks for these poor kids that are involved in this whole situation. As I was reading through multiple articles and pulling all this information. And then when I found that, that they wrote this note to their kids. It just is so heartbreaking. I just cannot imagine what those poor kids are going through. Like it just, ugh. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, in such important times, you know what I right. mean? Like such, such a, a really, you know, important time and they're growing up and everything. So, so yeah. they're currently living with their grandparents, obviously, because mm-hmm. mom and dad, to be straight, I do not judge parents, but I'm like, where's your head at? Yeah. yeah. I got scared. Yeah. So, so we have, so they're still fled, right? And there's the sentencing come out. They're on the lamb. Yeah. We we don't know. They're, the FBI has issued, you can actually go out and see their PDFs of the FBI most wanted, um, both Richard and Marietta. I was reading through those earlier uh, and they were going to give a $20,000 reward, I believe for each of them. Really wish I would have found them, but yeah, no, no such luck. Didn't find them. (laughs) So, so at the sentencing, so November 15th, so super, super recent, five months ago, they, uh, United States district judge, Stephen B. Wilson, he handed down prison, uh, prison sentences. Okay. So Richard, he was ordered to serve 17 years, Marietta, which was Richard's wife. He was sentenced to, um, I'm sorry, she, she was sentenced to six years. Artur was ordered to serve five years. And um, let's see, uh, Tamara had already pled guilty. And I believe she was sentenced to 11 years. So since she pled guilty, she was not sentenced at this point in time with the three of them and everything. So so yeah, so Tamara was, so she was the real estate broker, which is probably another way in which that all of this was able to be done quickly. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times if you do have cash sales. I think she was a notary too. I read that. that so, you know, yeah. she was stamping a lot of the stuff and moving 
a lot of it probably forward and yeah so yeah she was sentenced to nearly 11 years in prison and yeah it ended up being eight members within this family they called it the family fraud ring i was kind of you know good way to put it right yeah and so they she was allowed to remain free pending her 28 or january 28th surrender um she actually i did read in one of the articles at so she pled guilty back in mm-hmm. june right when the whole trial was going on she mm-hmm. actually tried to pull her plead back but oh they really no. mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so they would not allow her to do that so she ended up staying and pleading guilty and everything so and then she <laughs> like richard and marietta she fled and dropped out of sight just before she was about to turn herself in in january so so yeah so they couldn't find you know those three were gone i believe our tour was the only one in which that that they had you know they knew his whereabouts were so Mm -hmm. fast forward okay february 23rd so literally one month ago we're recording on march 23rd one month ago today they confirmed that they were captured in montenegro which i had to go look at the map Where's, where is this at? So it's kind of over there off the Mediterranean Sea by Croatia and such. So um, they did find them there, but we do not have, what was that? What's that treaty called that we? Um, Extradition. Yes, we do not have one with that country. So I don't know how they, um, I don't know how they captured them then. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know how they found them. But now the the Department of Justice is seeking extradition. And they're trying to figure that out in order to get them back here. To, so they can serve their sentences. But all in all, just such a crazy, crazy story. As far as like, the speed at which it happened. The things that were found during the raids. And I'll, I'll circle back to that, too, um, because like you were saying, uh, you had wondered if Tamara and her husband, which her husband, as a reminder, Richard's brother, they're all, you know, like you said, there's like eight of them in this family that were kind of playing roles in this whole thing. Uh, if they were up to something prior to all of this and in during the trial, it was mentioned that both Tamara and her husband are actually currently awaiting trial on unrelated state mortgage fraud charges. So because she was experienced in real estate and all of these things that they found during the raid, it is pretty likely that they've been involved in some of this behavior in the past and leading up to it, and then just saw this opportunity to really ramp things up. And uh, unfortunately, now it's just affecting an entire family and kids. And it, it took money from people who probably really needed it during that time. And that's one of the things There was a couple quotes that the judge made during sentencing too, that it was just outright disregard for people who needed it. And, you know, like you said, they cut off PPP funding and the EIDL loans once the funds ran out. Uh, I don't know if it was both of them. Maybe I misspoke on that. Maybe it was just PPP. No, both of them. Both yeah. Of them. They okay. should, they should both of them off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it, it was such a ripple effect that impacted so many different people that, you know, you probably, they probably didn't consider when they first started all this out, you know, 
money sounds good at the beginning and it's easy to get greedy, I guess, if you think it's easy, but lies have a way of catching up to you. So it does. Well, and it, you know, it just, I, you know, I, I think it'll be many years before we really understand the true financial impact of a lot of this, because, you know, uh, I don't, I mean, I would not call these people smart. <laughs> And what they did because they quickly and easily got caught um, yeah. and everything. But I think there will be many, many more cases to come in the coming years um, with various fraud tactics within this time because it was such an easy time to take advantage Chaotic. of various yep. things. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, there are just, I mean, there are still times, even with the SBA loans and all that stuff. I mean, it just, there are times that I just think, where the heck is all this money coming from? Like, I mean, yeah. it's still, still to this day, it's still kind of unending, um, so to speak. Now, the SBA has various uh, things in which that, you know, when you apply for their loans, they're checking your tax transcripts and everything. But on the flip side, IRS is, I read an article a couple months ago that they were 35 million returns, paper returns behind. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of returns. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, we need to get tight on a few of these things because this stuff is just going to keep happening with the more, um, you know, the more that, that everything's going. So like you said, like the people that really needed it, we didn't get it. So yep. So long story yeah, short, uh, don't put your numbers. Don't make up yeah. fake EINs. I mean, there's a couple great takeaways <laughs> from today's episode. <laughs> um, but it was it. I, we thought it was an interesting case, and like I said, we'll link to all of the articles that we pulled this information from and the original uh, top ten IRS criminal cases full article that it links to all of the IRS breakdowns of all of those. And that was from CPA practice advisor. Um, so we will link to all of that. Is there anything that you wanted to leave our listeners with before we wrap up this episode, Jamie? I don't know. This one leaves me kind of speechless. <laughs> yeah. what's, the, what's the acronym? Sometimes I have to ask my kid what's like SMH, isn't it? Like uh, shaking oh, my head. My- Shake my head. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I have to like, I'm like, what does that mean? Um, that's just one of those ones that, that make you want to do that. So, yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's quite intriguing. Um, you know, what people are capable of and what they're willing to do and risks they're willing to take and everything. So. So don't do that. Don't do that. No. <laughs> and don't ask us to help you because we won't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're interested in any of this or or any of the, the information that, like I said, goes along with it, you can find all of the notes at pjscpas.com forward slash nine four. Thank you so much for joining us for this kind of different episode. And we hope you enjoyed our rundown of one of the top 10 criminal cases of the, from the IRS for 2021. Thanks so much. Keep that momentum going and we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review. 
Gain access to additional free resources and learning opportunities by visiting pjscpas.com forward slash podcast.